what I want to go into is samadhi. Samadhi and its place on this retreat and uh, its place in, in the practice of emptiness that, uh, that we're doing. Uh, some of you will be familiar with that word, samadhi, others maybe less so. It's S-A-M-A-D-H-I. <coughs> it's a word the Buddha used a lot and put a lot of emphasis on and talked about it a lot. Usually, usually it gets translated as concentration, which is, is, is okay as a translation, but I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that translation. It's can, it can uh, be a little misleading. When we say concentration, uh, in English anyway, the mind tends to think of uh, a, a very sort of microscopically contracted uh, focus. Uh, samadhi may involve that, but actually, as it gets deeper, it doesn't. Invo- it's not. That's not really what it's about. <clears throat> so, rather, I would prefer saying samadhi is something like the mind and the body feeling unified, and unified and settled and steady in a state of well-being. Okay? So that's that's. Uh, it involves the whole mind and the whole body. Uh, settled and steady, and it involves a sense of well-being. So sometimes people hear a <coughs> concept like samadhi, and they think, do I have it? Have I ever had it? What does it look like? When w- Will I know when I've had it? Maybe, you know, as if it's a kind of on-off switch. And all, a lot of these concepts, same with mindfulness, same with uh, compassion, is actually maybe more helpful to think of it as a kind of sliding scale. So just like calmness, for instance, have I had calmness, someone was saying the other day outside of here in an interview. And we tend to think in terms of on-off rather than, there's, there's degrees of calmness, and we move along this scale, and we're interested in the case of calmness, in the case of samadhi, of, of you know encouraging gently a movement of a bit more calmness, a bit more samadhi. So rather than setting up too much of a duality, and have I got it, am I good enough to get it, which oftentimes is, is what uh, the mind brings to this kind of thing. Just thinking, thinking of it uh, in, in that more, uh, well, less uh, rigidly black and white way. <coughs> On this retreat, uh, obviously as I said last night, we're, we're offering a lot in terms of insight and emptiness practices. <coughs> a lot of possibilities. And what we would like though, is actually that you feel yourself to have two parallel practices, so to speak, two parallel avenues in the meditation. One is the emptiness and the insight practice, and the other is samadhi. (coughs) Now, the samadhi, and I'm going to talk about this, it may come through the breath practice, it may come through metta, it may come through something else, and we can talk about, there's lots and lots of possibilities. But if we say... Uh, that you think roughly in half and half, roughly, 50% of your time sitting uh, and, and walking, think of that time and divide it in two. Half the emptiness practice, half the samadhi practice. And in the interviews, uh, certainly we're very interested in hearing about both and kind of developing both, finding ways to develop both. Uh, they're parallel practice and they're very complementary, which is part of what I want to go into t- today. Uh, so there's a reason for that. There's a reason for suggesting that. 
Oftentimes, uh, we might hear about samadhi or read something, and it says that it's kind of irrelevant, that insight is really where everything, uh, that's where the liberation happens, and samadhi is just a kind of a bit of a sidetrack. Um, it's understandable that, that that can be a view. I, it doesn't seem to bear out in... in uh, there's always exceptions, but uh, it is very relevant. Uh, it's very, very helpful in terms of the way that our insight deepens to bring, to bring some freedom. People often, and again, understandably, fear that if they spend too much time with samadhi or get too into it, they'll be, uh, grow an attachment there and they'll get stuck there because it tends to, can get quite nice. And that again will be a cul-de-sac, a, a sort of dead-end street and a, di- and a distraction from liberating insight. Again, not really that true. Occasionally it's true, but not for the most part it's, it's not. And if it does happen that way, it's, it's always something that one can move beyond and, and see through. So the Buddha was a big fan of samadhi, and if you just flick through the Majjhima the middle-length discourses, every few pages he's, he's talking about it. He says, Just as the river Ganges slants, slopes, and inclines towards the east, so too a practitioner who develops and cultivates samadhi slants, slopes, and inclines towards Nibbāna. There's a natural movement in samadhi that actually moves to very deep insight and to freedom. They're not, as we sometimes hear, moving in different directions. I really don't think that's the case. So why is it so helpful? There's actually uh, <coughs> many qualities within the, you could say, within the, uh, the mind state or the quality of samadhi. There's many qualities and many qualities that are helpful. A mind that is settled and steady in a sense of unification and well-being, a mind of samadhi, actually uh, is a very malleable mind. Oftentimes the mind does not do what we want it to do. It does actually anything but what we want it to do. But as as the mind finds its way into this uh, more soft and unified state of well-being, the chitta, the mind, the heart, actually becomes malleable, it becomes agile. It becomes able to pick up and use different approaches. As I said last night, we're offering lots of approaches meditatively. The more the unification, the well-being, the samadhi, the more able the mind is to uh, to try this, to try that, to do, to do you know to play around with experience and its relationship to experience and its ways of looking at experience, which is basically what we're going to be doing here. Uh, it's able to do that and it's able to switch between modes of playing with experience and playing with the ways we're looking in investigation, etc. As the mind opens or settles in, into, finds its way into samadhi to whatever degree, it also is moving, uh, the consciousness is moving into a deeper state of refinement. So again, sometimes people get hung up on this thing. It's about focus and concentration. And yes, it is about focus. It's about being able to keep the mind steady on something, to investigate it. I can't investigate something unless I can keep it in my focus for a while. So focus is certainly a part of samadhi. But all these other qualities are actually equally important. And one of them is refinement. It's not so obvious. 
But as the mind deepens in samadhi, it's actually becoming more refined. The, the, the qualities, the texture of consciousness actually becomes more subtle and more refined. And in that, because the mind, the consciousness is more subtle, we're actually able to see more subtlety. Does this make sense? Um, and we actually, when, the deeper we go into emptiness, the more subtlety we need to be able to see. So we talk about the way, in a very, very subtle way, we'll get into this in the retreat, the mind is actually fabricating experience in different ways. Some of it's extremely subtle. To be able to see that, we need this deepening subtlety that comes with the samadhi. Uh, steadiness, another factor we've already talked about. A need to... Uh, steadiness has a number of aspects. One is, as I said, the capacity to stay steady with one thing, or one dimension of experience, or element of experience that I'm investigating. And just able to stay steady and look at that, and learn about that, and question it, and keep it there. The steadiness also, the steadiness of the samadhi also begins to permeate the being as an emotional steadiness. Uh, not always linearly. Sometimes we uh, talk about sometimes with samadhi there's quite a lot of rocking. But uh, more and more that the, the being and the emotional life and the heart feels in a very deep way steady in relationship to life. And again, just in terms of uh, the freedom that that brings. And the capacity to stay steady with our investigations huge. <clears throat> because of the well-being that comes with samadhi, uh, and again, we're talking about a spectrum here, so it's a little well-being, a lot of well-being, whatever, and anything moving on that spectrum. Because of the well-being, there's also a kind of cushioning effect, you could say, that samadhi has. Um, as I was saying last night, sometimes, sometimes uh, with emptiness and person meditating on emptiness or just hearing teachings on emptiness, there can be a little bit of fear at times or a little bit of um, shakiness. And one of the functions of the samadhi and the well-being, particularly of the samadhi, is that it cushions. It makes it easy to look at what might be not easy to look at in, in another state of mind. Do you understand? Uh, that's actually massively important. I see, it pe pe particularly when people do very deep, uh, long retreats, etc., that the uh, capacity to really be okay and feel really okay when the mind opens up to unfamiliar territory uh, is really, really helped by, by the samadhi. Samadhi also has warmth in it. It has love in it. So again, if we, if we just think in terms of sort of microscopic focus of concentration, just thinking about that, it doesn't leave much space for a sense of the heart's warmth and, and, and love. And actually, the, the full quality of samadhi, when we go into it, it actually feels very soft. The texture of experience, the texture of body, the texture of heart is more and more, and again, it's a continuum, it's permeated by a kind of warmth and love. And as we said last night, that's also very, very important as, as the insight deepens. So this well-being, uh, this well-being that comes with samadhi is, is extremely important. Uh, it's not there all the time, it comes and goes, but having <clears throat> enough access, enough dipping in to some sense of well-being uh, helps us enormously. Uh, enormously. 
And I would say it's as important as the focusing aspect. It's as important as the focusing aspect. Um, particularly, as I said, because for many people, and I don't know, well, no, it's not just our culture, but for many people, just the word emptiness seems to suggest a kind of nihilism. Now, it's really not that, and we'll talk a lot about why it's not that and how it's not that. But when, if there's even uh, a fear of that kind of nihilism around, then this well-being really, really helps. It really, really cushions it. So all of that <coughs> provides a kind of climate for the, the citta. We would say citta in Pali and Sanskrit means uh, heart and mind together. A climate of the heart and mind that's, that's the kind of best possible climate for investigation. All, all of those qualities together create a kind of inner environment that's um, prime for, for being able to investigate deeply. So very often <coughs> when we talk about samadhi or concentration in a retreat or first day of a week retreat and we talk about being with the breath, and it's very easy to take the set, ah, I'm supposed to focus on the breath or on whatever it is, whatever else. And very easily, the sense of the practice shrinks. The sense of what we're doing shrinks, and it becomes just about focusing. And then very quickly with that, the measuring mind comes in. How am I doing in terms of my focusing? And if my focusing is going well, then I feel okay. And when it doesn't go well, which of course it won't at times, I feel bad. I feel like the whole thing is going badly. So prioritizing focusing and then the measuring mind and measuring ourselves coming very quickly in and the whole thing just sinks and the emotional well-being and the emotional relationship with the practice just starts to sink. So very important even uh, for, in fact especially for, for beginner meditators but also for everyone in here, to see a much bigger pr picture right from the beginning to stretch to stretch our sense of what we're doing when we're uh, developing samadhi. In other words, watch out for the mind that has just gone into, I'm trying to focus, I should be, I should be, that's what I'm trying to do, I'm focusing, and then measuring that. What else is going on? There's always much more going on than that. Always much more going on. I try to focus, if that's part of the samadhi, and it is, on the breath, on the metta, and whatever, on the heart center. The mind goes off. Natural, normal, that's what minds do. That moment of going off, when I realize it's off, is actually a moment of mindfulness. It's a moment of wakefulness. At that moment, I know where the mind is. So actually, it's a moment of, you could say, triumph, of success. The mindfulness is part of the bigger picture of the samadhi, and it's important to see that. When I then see that and I bring the mind back, and then it goes again and I bring the mind back, and it goes again and I bring the mind back, and it goes again and I bring the mind back, and it Eventually, <laughs> imagine, there's a big muscle here. It, that pulling back is, is actually part of the samadhi, and it gives uh, muscle, literally, power to the mind. That power of the mind is part of samadhi, it's part of what we're developing. So just the fact of seeing the mind's off and bringing it back is actually, again, it's, it's, it's a very positive thing. It's something we can rejoice in. If that seems like all we're doing for a while, great building that muscle. When the mind is off, somewhere else, getting distracted, past, future, worry, whatever it is, daydream, that moment of realizing it, how quickly the judging mind comes in. 
judging oneself. And again, that moment then is an opportunity. So what I'm saying here is rather than again, rather than seeing it as just it's only working when I'm focused on the breath or on the meta or whatever, seeing the whole thing and the times when I'm not on the breath as actually all part of it and all part of a bigger picture of what's being developed. Because that moment, if I notice the judging mind come in, maybe I can let go of that a little bit. Maybe I can just not get so sucked into it. And then what else is happening? <coughs> not only am I developing my focusing my capacity, not only am I developing my mindfulness, not only am I developing this muscle, but I'm also letting go, slowly, slowly, of the power of the judging mind. And I need to see that as part of the bigger picture. Impatience, again, I see that the mind is off, there's impatience there. Again, can I not get so hooked into impatience and actually just see it as a chance to cultivate patience, slowly, slowly, and to let go of impatience? I'm seeing a much bigger picture here. This is crucial because almost everyone, uh, at times, the, the way we see practice shrinks. It shrinks into a much smaller picture that's just about me and my focusing and measuring that and how am I doing. <coughs> and very quickly, the whole practice will shrivel up, become dry, and actually become pretty miserable. If I see the bigger picture and I reinforce that when I sit down, I keep reminding myself of that. Uh, there's going to be a lot more sense of uh, the whole thing being positive, creative, useful. <clears throat> when we talk about samadhi, I don't want to go too much into nuts and bolts, but I will a little bit this morning, and then there'll be some chance for questions and stuff tomorrow, and of course the interviews. But most of the time when, when people talk about samadhi, it's with one object. In other words, you take the breath or you take the metta or something, and you just try and really stay with that object and go deeper and deeper with that, with that thing. Some of you, though, will may f already feel there's another way of going about this. There's another way of arriving at a state <coughs> of unification and well-being deeper and deeper into that. And that's actually being much more open with the attention, not focusing on one object, <clears throat> but actually opening the attention quite wide to the totality of experience. And in a way, just letting go, we'll talk much more about this as the retreat goes on, just letting go in relationship to phenomena as they arise, keeping a very open awareness. And in that open awareness, uh, one notices that this same uh, sense of well-being, steadiness, unification, begins to come in. So, as far as this retreat is concerned, I actually don't mind too much. But I will say, if you're going to do that open way, make sure that you feel a sense of samadhi coming out of it. In other words, if, I, if you're open, and it actually doesn't feel like that sense of unification and well-being is taking root and deepening a little bit, then come back to one, a one-pointed a one practice. All, all of this, the deepening in samadhi, is, is all, it's just a skill, you know. In a way it's really not, I mean it is a big deal, and in a way it's not that big deal. We've learned lots of skills in our life. You know, just think about learning to tie our shoelaces, or actually even going to the toilet, you know, is a kind of skill, or, or reading, or writing. 
we don't acknowledge this, or if you know a, mus- a musical instrument or music or something, we're learning to walk. All of that is skill. It's developing a skill. And, and samadhi is just like that. It just takes patience and interest and in working at it. The thing is, what's our relationship with learning skills? And that's, that's, again, so much about relationship and attitude that ends up being really, really crucial in terms of practice. Because if my relationship with learning skills is <coughs> becomes about self-judgment and frustration, again, it's very difficult to develop anything. What's my relationship with goals? So if I say uh, it's a state of unification, even if I say it's a spectrum and not a, a definite arriving point, very easily the mind comes in with a sense of a goal and very easily tightens around that. So what do I do with the whole notion of somewhere that I'm headed? I could throw out a whole notion of somewhere I'm headed, but maybe that's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. <clears throat> Somehow I have to find a, 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 a kind of really okay and healthy and happy relationship, mature relationship with the idea of going somewhere in my practice, of developing something in my practice. <clears throat> when the Buddha said, what does samadhi depend on? He said, it depends on happiness. Which is curious, because samadhi brings happiness. He said, it depends on happiness. This touches on what I was talking about last night. Appreciation, uh, gratitude, nourishing those qualities. But also, it's very difficult to have a sense of trying to develop something if there isn't some degree of happiness, some degree of kindness. Those qualities are crucial in, in the atmosphere uh, with which we approach practice for a sense of, of being okay with feeling like we're going somewhere and we're trying to go somewhere. And what I talked about last night, again, playfulness. So when we learn skills, it's, pl- it's playing, experimenting, and, and having a kind of light-heartedness with that. I try this, I try that. Oh, that's interesting when I do that. And that quality of light-hearted playfulness goes really, really long. I would say it's indispensable. There's really that light, playful quality in practice, experimentative quality in practice. Okay, now, most of you uh, will, in fact, all of you, will be familiar with what's called the hindrances. So when we try and settle down in meditation, what we encounter is... Uh, five hindrances, uh, sense, desire, or greed, uh, aversion in different forms, um, sloth and torpor, dullness, sleepiness, restlessness, and doubt. And, and these are visitors to us until we're actually fully awakened. So they're going to be around for a while. Um, it's very important when we're developing practice, and particularly developing samadhi, that our relationship with these hindrances, again, is we're setting off on the right foot with this. We need to expect them. I need to expect in my practice the waves. I cannot expect uh, four weeks of calm sea and steady ascent into the glorious heavenly abodes of some, you know, maybe, but it's generally not the way that consciousness uh, develops. (coughs) Expect these waves. It's part of the deal. (coughs) Two things are really, really important in relationship to the hindrances, really crucial in 
I'm not going to go into each one at all specifically, but two really, really important factors. One is not to take them personally. Not to take them personally. In other words, they are factors of human consciousness that will arise and said, until we are completely awakened. So if I, a hindrance comes, if there's aversion, if there's sleepiness, if there's restlessness, and I start taking it to mean something about me and my practice, I'm not good enough, I'm not developed enough, da 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 I'm not getting anywhere, etc. I'm taking it personally, and I've, I've totally poured gasoline on the fire. I've shot myself in the foot. So to really have the sense, as we feel them, that these, these are not pers- things to take personally. These are just waves in the ocean of, of our consciousness as a human being. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, <coughs> not always, but generally, when a hindrance comes along, it has a story that goes with it. If there's aversion, it really is this person who's causing me a problem. It really is that there's something wrong with them and we need to do something and perhaps ask them to leave the retreat or whatever it is. Or um, if it's uh, sense desire, greed, no, I really need something. And the mind goes off, it convinces itself of something about the external world often. It's almost as if hindrances are like little seeds, and the, the, the consciousness is throwing out these seeds all the time. All the time, actually. Almost all the time. And these little seeds have hooks in them. And these hooks are looking for something, some issue, some situation to sink, sink that hook into, sink their teeth into, and then start rattling it and shaking it. And then the next thing we know is we've got an issue on our hands. And it seems to be out there. And the consciousness is throwing up these seeds with hooks all the time. And wh- what, what's important is what we do with that. What we do with that. It takes quite a lot of practice to actually see that that's what's going on most of the time. Not all the time, most of the time. And not, um, not the outer world so much. So to be patient with this, and patient with samadhi, because it's a lifetime practice. It's really a lifetime practice. So these hindrances, like everything else, have a spectrum of subtlety. They can be very, very gross, and I'm sure we all know what it is to be in a really gross hindrance of restlessness or dullness or whatever, sleepiness. But they can also be actually quite subtle. They can be quite subtle. And we talk, sometimes people talk about sinking and drifting as subtle manifestations. Sinking as a subtle manifestation of dullness. It's not that there's the nodding, uh, it's not that we're falling asleep. It's just that things are starting to get just a little bit kind of... They're losing their edge. They're a little bit kind of foggy. And the, the, the consciousness actually feels like it's a little bit sinking. Not in a, in a way that feels uh, bright and energized. Or there's what we call drifting, which is a subtle form of restlessness. It's not that the mind is you know, wanting to jump out of the meditation room or whirling around with lots of thought. It's more that we're actually fairly concentrated, but the tendency is for quite a lot of thoughts and images to come up and the mind to follow a lot of them and just get pulled off them and drift drift off in them. There's a subtle manifestation of restlessness. So these are very common, especially as we start to deepen a little bit. It's interesting. Sometimes when the mind is sinking... 
we need to re-energize and perhaps become more intimate with what we're paying attention to, the breath or the metta or whatever. Find a way to re-energize the whole process. Sometimes what it actually needs is more space. The mind is getting a little too contracted and it needs, we need to actually open the consciousness out and be a bit more spacious with awareness and that tends to brighten things. Those two approaches, funnily enough, apply also to the kind of opposite uh, situation when there's drifting. Sometimes it needs a reconnecting with what's going on, a bit more closeness with what's going on. Sometimes it needs a bit more spaciousness, a bit more looseness coming in. And it's almost as if we, when we put too much pressure on the mind to pay attention, it actually has a tendency to slip off more. It's like squeezing something too tight and it will slip off more into thoughts. So we can think, I'm, I'm drifting off, I need, to, I need to be a bit more tight with the object, and actually I need to be a bit more loose. Interesting. Most people trying to develop samadhi, uh, the biggest obstacle that they will feel uh, is tightness. A sense of, as we're trying to do this, it all just get, starts to get too tight with the efforting or, or whatever. It's the biggest hurdle for most people. Again, it's going to probably come up at times, a sense of tightness. So part of the art of meditation is being aware of that, expecting it. And then how, how am I relating to it? If within my samadhi, however, however I'm going about it, I keep a whole, I keep at least one portion of my awareness on the whole body, in the sense of the whole body, then my sensitivity to the body will reflect when the mind is getting too tight in relationship to the practice. That tightness will be reflected in the body, either grossly the shoulders start hunching, or just subtly, some kind of subtle contraction in the musculature or just the sense of the body. So really using uh, the body to tell us when we're getting too tight and just relaxing, expecting that and relaxing. As the retreat goes on, we're offering many insight practices and emptiness practices, and we can also use those to um, loosen, because they bring letting go, it loosens the whole thing. You can have a sense of using the insight practice to loosen in relationship to the samadhi. Let's say you choose the breath to be aware of. Attention's interesting. We can focus on uh, something very one-pointedly, and that has its place. So I could be aware of the breath here at the nostrils. I could be aware down in the abdomen. And the mind has a capacity of kind of penetrating, of probing something. Uh, and very, very useful at times. I can sometimes feel like it, it might need more probing to get uh, the energies back in alignment if I'm if I'm sinking a little bit or, or whatever. It might be though that I need to go into more of a receptive mode. It's almost like the awareness receives the breath rather than probing it. It's receiving it's like metaphorically leaning back and the breath is coming. It's it's touching the awareness and I'm receiving it. There are different ways we can play with the the way that the attention is engaging with the object. So sometimes we can have a one, one point that we're paying attention to, one spatial point here or here. For many people, uh, actually firstly what I want to say, 
Everyone's different with this. Everyone's different. Is it too warm in here? Is it okay? It is too warm? Do you want to open it? Is that okay? Um, thanks, Richard. We need to find, as I said last night, what works for us. What, what works for us. So it might be that working with a narrow focus is great. Many people, not everyone, actually are more helped with a wider sense. It's like actually including the whole body right from the beginning uh, in their relationship with samadhi, either just as a way of monitoring whether it's too tight or not, or actually relating from the beginning to the whole body and nourishing, finding a way of nurturing the well-being in the whole body. Finding a way of breathing or uh, doing the metta, that the whole body is involved right from the beginning, and the whole body is breathing and feels like it's breathing. Whole, I, when breath comes in, I can feel the whole body breathing there, and actually nourishing that well-being in the whole body with the breath, or with the metta. Again, we tend to think metta at the heart center, and it is, of course, but actually metta can be the whole body. And the, finding a way of breathing, finding a way of doing the metta, that the whole body is involved, and a way that the whole body feels good. feels like there's a sense of well-being, actually nurturing that well-being through the breath or through the metta. Um, now, just a reminder, last night I said uh, probably good for everyone, uh, almost everyone, to, to do uh, at least one metta practice a day. Just a <coughs> small point about the metta. If you are doing metta, and it would be, it would be lovely balance to do metta and emptiness if, if you're not keen on breath as a focus practice. <coughs> when you're doing metta, when we're doing metta, there's, we want to keep that, as I say, keep the body involved. So the, the Buddha says, sensitive to the whole body. We want to actually, that's, that's actually quite a central piece in the metta practice, and I would say actually in breath practice too. Sensitive to the whole body. Uh, a lot is reflected in the body, and, and we use the body to deepen. With the metta, it <coughs> might sound a little complicated then, because you might have the phrases of metta, and may, may I be well, may you be well, may you be happy, whatever it is. You have the phrases, you might have an image or sense of the other person, and you have the body, and so it feels like you've got three things, which can sound like a lot. Actually, it's not a lot. Let it be centered and anchored in the body, and... Uh, revolve around the body. Does that make sense if I say that? Yes, good, thank you. Okay. So th I'm going to say a bit more about the body because it's so important. It's uh, fundamental for a long, 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 long time in, in the way that the samadhi deepens. And again, Sometimes people, it's not obvious at first, so it's, samadhi can often be a, a non-body experience. Someone's trying to just pay attention here, and it's like the body isn't involved. So body needs to be involved, and can be this whole body, like we just uh, talked about, in different ways. Either that you're using it to uh, be sensitive to the tightness and letting go, tightness, letting go, relaxing, or that we're getting the whole body involved from the start, and actually opening and nourishing that whole body sense. As the samadhi deepens and the mind 
you know, gathers itself in one-pointedness. And remember, by one-pointedness, I don't necessarily mean a small point. I mean in a steadiness. What begins to happen, to some degree or other, is the, the felt sense of the body, the perception of the body, begins to change. And some of you I know are, are aware of this, but it's actually quite important. The body starts to open up, starts to have a sense of well-being, starts to feel softer in some ways, less defined perhaps. Uh, all, all kinds of things are possible. But the body sense, as samadhi deepens, is actually, is actually quite important. We're actually encouraging that body sense. I can either do it... Uh, well, let me say something first. A deepen in samadhi, the body, the felt sense of the body starts to be felt differently, perceived differently, sensed differently. Because of that, and because it's usually some sort of softness and well-being, the mind actually settles down in that and with that more easily. And it's that that brings the deeper sense of unification and well-being. But a funny thing happens in that after a while with this, uh, a practitioner starts to get familiar with how the body feels when it gets more, uh, when, when the mind gets deeper. It gets familiar with that sense of well-being or softness or openness or uh, whatever it is. And actually, in time, gradually, in time, begins to be able to recall it to re the bodily sense to actually remember that, recall that sense of well-being, and then kind of go deeper with that, and that leads to the samadhi. But either way, this sense of how the body feels is actually quite integral to, to samadhi deepening. <clears throat> There's many ways, uh, many ways of kind of conceiving of what happens as the samadhi deepens, and uh, people like different approaches, etc. So this, what I've just said, it's like the body, the body perception, the body sense changes, and that allows more well-being, and then we can go into that more. That's one way of conceiving it. Another way, and sometimes people find this helpful, and sometimes they, they don't like it, but <clears throat> another way is that what's happening in samadhi or in metta practice, we're actually working with what we might call, we might call it, the subtle body. Meaning, the energetic sense of the body. Not just bones and nails and the rest of it, but uh, the energetic field of the body. And what we're doing, one way of looking at it, is what we're doing in samadhi is you're... <clears throat> working with that subtle body energy, that subtle field of, field of subtle energy, and playing with it, and coaxing it gently into a state of more openness and alignment and well-being. Uh, same true with breath, same with metta. This subtle energy body, some people don't like this, and it's fine if you don't go for it, but in a way, we have that all the time as human beings. It's there. Sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes not. Sometimes, what we call the energy, the way the body feels, the energy body, feels very harmonious. It feels very... everything feels open and aligned and kind of... Uh, it feels good. Oftentimes, as human beings, quite often, it doesn't feel that way. Something feels blocked, something feels stuck or contracted in, in, in the body, in the energy field of the body. And that's very normal. So many times a day we go in and out of this, in and out, in and out. 
what happens one of the things that can happen when one begins using the emptiness and the insight practices is because they're letting go practices they actually begin to unblock the contractions and the blocks in the subtle energy body and because of that uh, the energy body becomes more open, more harmonious, more aligned and when it's aligned there is naturally a state of samadhi does this make sense? Say if not. Mm-hmm. Is it yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, thanks. Um, so, what we'll be getting into a lot on this retreat, or, or one thing that's possible, is um, using the emptiness approaches to as kind of lenses. That I'll explain much more as we, we get in, but there are ways of viewing our experience, and there are even ways of viewing a block. So sitting in meditation, you feel all this con- maybe tightness in the throat, for instance. The subtle energy body is blocked. With some of the practices we'll be introducing, it's a way of looking at that experience of the block. And it's a way that actually unbinds it, it dissolves it, it it loosens our relationship to it, and so it opens. Uh, All experience, but very much difficult experience, can be very useful. So usually, (coughs) usually when people hear about samadhi, they tend to think, first you do your samadhi, first you do your concentration bit, and then you do your insight bit. And that's generally, if you've come on insight meditation retreats, that's generally the way we talk. First you get some samadhi, and then you do your insight. But actually, it's equally, totally equally the case that, as I'm saying, I just said, insight brings samadhi. To the degree that I uh, can see deeply into things, it will bring samadhi. Uh, So they feed each other. And said, for this retreat, what we want is this kind of parallel uh, complementariness of the two practices, because they will be feeding and complementing each other. Samadhi feeds the insight, the insight feeds the samadhi. We're looking for a balance there. Um, Sometimes, it's rare, but sometimes people just want to hang out in a state of samadhi, a state of well-being and gatheredness, and they don't want to contemplate and analyze and, and look in terms of insight. That's the story we hear about samadhi. It's actually quite rare in my experience. It does happen, it most definitely does happen, but it's more rare than the opposite, which is not taking enough care with the samadhi and, and not balancing it enough with the insight. There's too little samadhi. And then what we bring to insight is, um, or what comes out of the insight, is a kind of agitation, uh, a kind of excitement or scatteredness of the energies and the mental energies, and not enough well-being. So that, on the whole, in terms of maybe our tradition, insight meditation tradition, that seems to be, uh, for most people, there's, there's an imbalance of too much insight and not enough samadhi. And occasionally you meet the opposite. So we tend to think samadhi comes through concentration. I'll stick with something and, and this comes. But actually, when, when we really go into it and do a lot of samadhi practice, you actually realize samadhi comes from letting go. And again, that's not something that's obvious at first at all. But to the degree that we let go, samadhi comes. Samadhi comes in letting go. 
when we're actually focused on an object, what's happening is we're letting go of a lot of other stuff. And so the mind and the body energies can align themselves. Because insight brings letting go, or should bring letting go, insight therefore leads to samadhi. Sometimes, I'm saying this now, again, I hope it's the sort of thing that you can remember over the weeks, I'll, I'll say it again, I'm sure. One is practicing with a certain insight practice, a certain em- emptiness practice, and actually one feels the samadhi deepening, or one feels that in the, in, in the field of experience there is a sense of well-being, or there's a sense of stillness or, or something. And it's almost like you can rest in that. So at that point you're, you're kind of moving fluidly from the insight practice to a samadhi practice. You just kind of rest in that bodily sense in the well-being. Sometimes you can almost filter it out from what's happening, the sense of stillness or well-being or settledness. Actually filter those qualities out and just rest there. I'm very aware people in this room have different histories in relationship to samadhi. Some people uh, have done, uh, you know, will go samadhi first, then insight, other people the other way around. It's all fine. It's all fine. So sometimes we try and find some samadhi and it just won't happen. The energies are blocked, etc. And what it needs is a bit of insight or there's something that's preoccupying us. What it needs is a bit of insight, a bit of cutting through, using the emptiness practices. And... when there's the insight, then we're able to let go, and then, and then the samadhi is available. Other times, we're trying to contemplate something, and actually we don't have enough samadhi, and we need to bring, bring that in. It's a sense of balancing it creatively. I'm aware that many of you will have um, will be familiar with uh, the, the, the word jhana or dhyana, the states of deep sort of absorption, deep samadhi and uh, concentration. Um, I don't think I'm going to use that word much on this retreat. I mean, it's certainly... Uh, what to say? I'm just, just to say I'm not going to use it much. I'm talking more about samadhi as kind of an open field and a spectrum. And so... We move, we move on that spectrum. We're interested in deepening. That's all. <clears throat> Sometimes with that word jhana or dhyana, people get too hung up. They make too much of a big deal. About it. So on this retreat, other retreats, I will talk about it. But this retreat, I'm not really going to talk about it. What's really important is that the comparing mind uh, doesn't get too much of a foothold here in relationship to samadhi. And we're just seeing it as taking care of ourselves taking, you know, we're developing something out of kindness for ourselves and ultimately out of kindness for all beings. There's that sense rather than the comparing, measuring mind coming in, which can do so easily. Very last tiny thing, which I'm actually <clears throat> not going not to go into today, and I'm not sure if we'll get to it this retreat, but there's actually a much deeper relationship between samadhi and emptiness, again, which is not at all obvious and very, very rarely talked about, in, in, uh, as far as I can see anywhere, but in our tradition. But uh, <coughs> I don't know if we'll get time on this retreat, but I just want to say something much simpler. Sometimes, with samadhi practice, feel like I keep coming back to the breath or back to the metta, a person can feel, well... 
maybe I'm ignoring something that needs attention. Maybe there's some emotion there or something that actually needs my attention and I'm suppressing it and repressing, etc. Now that's a very... that comes out of a lot of integrity and a lot of um, you know, willingness. It's an important question. But... and it can be that that is going on sometimes. It can be that we're kind of suppressing something or hiding from something through through uh, the breath or through the metta or whatever. But actually, oftentimes that's not the case. It's not quite that simple. Um, it has to do a little bit with what I said before. Sometimes what happens is a hindrance, this hook has come up and got its teeth into something. And then it seems like a real thing that I need to... to engage with in the world and sometimes it is but oftentimes it's actually not it's actually not when we talk about emptiness it's actually the thing is empty it's empty of being what it seems it's empty of being the problem that it seems the mind has made it that the hook has made it that it takes a lot of samadhi as I said before to begin seeing that and some of the things that we seem this is that we that seem to us at first this is so important that I bring my mindfulness to this so important that I open to this sometimes it is and you know sometimes it just isn't it just really isn't it's the mind throwing up mud and creating mud and then uh, kind of wallowing in it but it, it, it this is a very delicate question I'm saying something that I should take much more time to say, I'm just putting it out there right now. As we go deeper into samadhi, there's, there's, something, there's something about this. We could say, when these hooks put their teeth into something, the mind is actually building something, it's fabricating something, and then falling for that as a reality. When we're practicing samadhi, as the mind deepens in samadhi, What's actually happening is we're building less, we're fabricating less, we're making less of an issue or a big deal or a this or a that. We're actually making less of a self. We're building less of a self. We're building less of a world. <clears throat> I should really talk a lot. I don't know how much I'm going to get to this in relationship to Samadhi, this retreat, but that's one way of looking at what's happening with Samadhi is we're building that. This is everything, everything, everything to do with a deep understanding of emptiness. So, again, one of the, one of the real gifts of Samadhi, is, as we go deeper into it, is that we're getting accustomed to letting go of the self, not having the self be so built up and so loud and so prominent, and not having the world be so built up, and the world of things and issues be so built up and so prominent. And we're just learning to let go of that and really sense that it can really be okay. It can feel very nice when we do that. Does that make sense? Yeah? So, although samadhi is not directly contemplating emptiness, there's, there's a parallel movement here, which if we understand that, if we really contemplate it, is totally integral and important to understanding emptiness. And it, even if we don't understand it, we're getting used to letting go uh, of the things that we usually take to be real, the things that usually take up all the space inside us. And that's a huge gift of samadhi. Enough talking. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.